0: LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen.
1: Morning, everyone. Steve Allen here. Coming up at six, I'm in conversation with Stephen Burkhoff about his film career, which spans something like 50 movies, and Eurovision hopeful, fingers crossed, and double prayers, Engelbert Humperdinck, still touring at the age of 76. But first, here are my best bits from last week. Dog Wins Britain's Got Talent, which I'm very happy with, as you can well imagine. Perhaps next year we might find somebody who can sing or do something marginally more entertaining, I'm afraid. So the royal family, if they're listening at the moment, ma'am, sir, uh, you've got a dog, Okay, who'll be popping up on the television. That'll be nice. Oh, wait. We've already got the tickets for the Royal Variety. We've got the tickets for the Royal Variety this year. We're also trying to find out the ultimate sandwich. I don't know what the ultimate sandwich would be, but to be honest with you, there's such a bewildering array in the supermarket. You can't just go out and find a chicken sandwich. It's going to be chicken drizzled with olive oil, balsamic vinegar, rocket. What have happened to lettuce? What have happened to lettuce, for God's sake? But uh, Jodie Kidd, supermodel and TV presenter and radio presenter as well, is seeking the ultimate British sandwich in British Sandwich Week. She says everybody has their own preferences and opinions on how to prepare the ultimate lunchtime treat. What a lot of pretentious claptrap, isn't it? Everybody has their own preferences and opinions on how to prepare the ultimate lunchtime treat. It's so a sandwich, get over yourself. Get over yourself. So, so she, of course, likes uh, very ripe Sussex brie, a flavoursome local ham, slices of tomato and some spicy rocket. Well, we all have those, don't we? If you're living on a council estate in Wandsworth, you're probably just washing the rocket as I speak, aren't you? It's the kind of thing you're thinking of. Should we put balsamic vinegar on there? What do you reckon? Mange tout for lunch? I don't think so. A sandwich is just, you know, a bit of sandwich spread or some cheese and pickle. Something ordinary, I can't imagine what the ultimate sandwich would be. An ultimate... What do you mean? One made without bread or something. Then, then do you remember they say... There's a shop down the road from here. They do open sandwiches. An open sandwich is where you get sort of a piece of French bread and you cut it, sort of slice it sort of lengthwise and then you put something on it. And that's an open sandwich. Because it doesn't have a top to it. And, and then... Because I like toasted sandwiches. I like... To- At the moment, I find it very difficult to cope with Coronation Street. There's a woman in there... And I think she's got dementia. I think she's got... She's living with... I can't remember who she's living with now. But she's the wife of this bloke who's having an affair with this other woman. But she's got dementia. And quite clearly, she has good days and she has bad days. And I'm watching it. And I don't know if you've got somebody in your family who has dementia. But is it like that? Is it really as bad as that? Because the other day, they go out and they leave her by herself. Now, she can self-harm. She can do everything. And she decides she wants some cheese on toast. But she doesn't, she can't remember how to make cheese on toast. So she puts the bread in the toaster, and then she puts the cheese on the top of the toaster. So she does this, and then, then the cheese starts melting. So she picks up the toaster, and she throws it into the bowl of water, which, of course, produces the worst electrical shock you can ever, ever imagine. And I'm thinking, if you've, do you have somebody in your family who has this? I'm assuming it's dementia. But you obviously can't leave somebody, can you, like that? For any length of time, you've got to watch them. It must be extremely wearing, not only for them, and but, but also for you as well. Uh, I love gourmet sandwiches, says Anisha. Here we go. But you can't beat simple egg, mayo and cress. You see, even I think cress is a bit posh now. Cress in sandwiches. And also, it generally falls out, doesn't it? Cress in sandwiches falls out. But she says, uh, last week you were raving about the film Dark Shadows, saying, bit of fun, nicely shot. So on Saturday night, I decided to go and watch it. It was the biggest pile of pants. I can't believe you made it sound so good. It's funny, isn't it? I spoke to a friend of mine yesterday who went to see it, not expecting it to be any good, and loved it. Absolutely loved it. Isn't it fine? Did you go to the premiere of it? Were you plied with champagne? No. No, we didn't have it. We were offered drinks, but it was water and and juice. And uh, it says, everybody was just clichéd. Well, it's supposed to be cliched. It's based on a TV series. That's what it's supposed to. It's supposed. It's supposed to be comedic. That's. Did you think it was? Ah, that's why you thought it. Oh, ah, you, you didn't understand the history of it. Oh, that's why you just went to see it thinking that it was going. to No, no, no. It, I mean, it is the usual people that work with with Tim Burton. I even liked his wife in it. I even liked the wife in it, and, not, and I wasn't really expecting to like her, uh, Helena Bonham Carter at all. But I mean, she's really good in it. But the whole thing's supposed to be cliched. That's that's what that's the whole joke. Fancy you not getting that, obviously, And there's you pretending to be an adult and everything else. Uh, one here, strike it lucky. Barrymore was a genius in the nineties. He was actually. There's no doubt about it. And then it all went horribly wrong, didn't it? I'm, re- I'm led to believe that he's uh, somebody. Say the other day, he's off drink. Or something like that. Uh, back in the uh, the very late 70s, I was off to see my girlfriend in Cornwall, says David, and I was pushing my uh, motorcycle down the empty ramp at the side of Paddington Station. When walking up the ramp towards me was a very famous face. And it was Peter Wingard. After he passed me, being polite, I waited about five seconds to look back at him, at which point he turned round, he was standing still facing me and smiling. That was really stress. I've never seen a bike push so fast through Paddington Station and, a uh, great actor and, uh, and a real personality. Yes, Jason King took off from Department S and was so popular that they, uh, they gave him his own spin-off series. And, uh, and it worked very well. It was of its time. It's all available, Actually. Uh, strangely enough, uh, Bryn and Annie have only just picked up on last week's migraine story, and she reminded me that for donkey's years, she suffered monthly from terrible headaches, a form of migraine. Twenty-five or so years ago, she needed to go to a new dentist for a checkup, who noticed she had four wisdom teeth in her mouth full of mercury amalgams. Remember the old amalgam fillings? The metal fillings? He booked her privately into the clinic instantly that day. He said, go home, get some overnight clothes, come back tomorrow. I'll be taking all four of them out. She did, as he said, the following day, had all four removed and remained in hospital for a couple of days until her mouth was better. He said it was the mercury amalgam, a form of lead poisoning in her mouth that should be removed as it could cause all sorts of problems. She's never had a migraine since that day and I've always assumed the two were connected. Now, when we talked about migraine on the programme last week, we discovered that uh, it. Everybody seems to be different. Some people were linked to dairy products. Some people were linked to chocolate. Uh, you were linked to amalgam. And strangely enough, she says, we've told loads of people, dentists and doctors and anybody interested, but it seems to have been only her salvation. I told Maureen Lippman about it as she suffered horrendously from migraine regularly as it simply knocked her out for a couple of uh, days on a regular basis. But that was was some years ago. Thought you'd be interested in Annie's little story about teeth and migraine. Because I think it's different things that that trigger it. We, We discovered this last week when we spoke to various people and it was a case of you know what? What triggered it for you? Some people said it was dairy. Some people said it was this. Some people have had it, you know, for for years and years. And the uh, the answer is lie down in a darkened room. It sounds terrible. It sounds terrible. Uh, it's Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's that the the lady has actually got, uh, and it is like that. I have a relative with it. Uh, is she dead though? She, she wasn't killed, was she? The last I left Coronation Street, she'd they'd called the uh, the medics round. Uh, do you remember? Max Bygraves presenting Family Fortunes," says Malcolm. "I do. I remember how much he got for each episode: sixty thousand pounds per episode. That—that's why people who do television quiz shows on a regular basis are making a small fortune. I should imagine if you're a, if you're a celebrity or a well-known person who's got a bit of a track record, you could pick up fifteen to twenty grand for doing an episode of Family Fortunes. I would think. Uh, Steve, my surgery is terrible for appointments. I'm lucky if I get to see somebody yearly with my diabetes, and." Uh, I had to remind them I had uh, hypothyroidism for 6 months before it was diagnosed. And I was gravely ill before it was found out that I wasn't absorbing any vitamins at all. Yes, I mean that's you see I mean you say you only get a yearly checkup with your diabetes. I get it every every 3 months. Every 3 months. Uh, Joe, uh, Joe is a fellow diabetic. I attend every appointment and review. I keep a daily diary tracking my blood sugar, what I've eaten, what meds, what insulin I've taken. At the end of the day, add up my total units and combined units. My consultant then goes through the diary and gives me great advice. I see the podiatrist every three months. Diabetic eye screening every six months. I fast once every three months for my review. I'm very organised with my management. Sadly... I've had my leg amputated and just my little right finger amputated again after the first op didn't work. I've had complications due to other medical issues, but I'm incredibly upbeat. I cannot stress enough to manage your diabetes because the worst can happen. Absolutely. Well, my my diabetes is managed very well by me and by by the surgery. In fact, that's why I'm going back in again today, just to go and make another uh, appointment. Just go and see another doctor. It's just non-stop really. But at least they're looking after me. I mean, that's, that's the thing that you do, but you if, if, just heard there from somebody who only gets a yearly check-up. A yearly check-up. What, what possible use is that? I mean, it seems to change, almost, you know, not on a daily basis, but it certainly changes with some, some regularity. as You get a little bit older. Uh, in the papers today, uh, everybody's begging to hire Pudsey. Lovely. Uh, the British Pavarotti will make millions. Why? Because he's been snapped up by Jonathan Shallett. He'll make you look thin, Jonathan. He'll make you look very thin, and, um, David Jason says, political correctness is destroying great comedy. I have to say, and, and, you know, sometimes when you watch old comedy series, the language is terrible. I'm amazed at how much people got away with. If you listen to some of the language in Only Fools and Horses, I mean, just on a day-to-day basis, words I cannot use on this programme popped up on, on the television. And I'm watching them back. Then I was watching last night, Birds of a Feather. They use every bit of language under the sun, I mean, it's really quite, quite amazing, quite amazing what people used to get away with on the television, but they did. Fifteen steps to help stem the diabetes crisis and the health checklist. They say at least every twelve months, blood glucose, blood glucose, blood pressure, cholesterol, eye screen for uh, retinitis. That's where you know you can start going blind. Skin circulation and nerve supply to legs and feet, kidney function. Uh, check weight quit smoking get help to plan your care attend education courses receive pediatric care if you're a child get specialist care if you're planning on having a baby meet specialist diabetes healthcare professionals and finally get emotional support uh, there are at least 3.7 million people with diabetes in the UK 49.8% get the checks and service recommended by NICE i think i'm in that i'm in that uh, that amount of people And so that means uh, I'm okay, But a lot of people don't go. In which case, you know, you have to force yourself. Other members of your family should make you go. I know diabetics who don't even take their medicine. (laughs) Well, let's take a quick break from talking about diabetes, after which you can hear about cyclists, half of whom jump red lights.
0: LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. LBC 97.3 This is London's biggest conversation With the best of Steve Allen Welcome back
1: During the week we heard about how nearly half of cyclists jump red lights Which really got some of you worked up Cyclists do pay for the roads Council tax pays for the roads Uh, I think you find the road fund licence That's what it's called, the road fund That would be kind of the giveaway, wouldn't it, I think there uh, and that goes a small way to paying the NHS when a child is knocked over by a car driver. God blimey, you're barmy mad, aren't you? And uh, and pays towards when a car driver damages street furniture. If you don't want to pay, buy an electric car. If they don't pay road tax, you shout at them? Of course. Of course you shout at electric cars. It'd be stupid not to shout at That's the whole idea of having an electric car. Boo! You all shout at electric cars. Cyclists and electric cars. All sandal-wearing, caftan-wearing... You know, people are just vegetarian, vegetarian. That's what they're all like out there. Oh dear, you know what vegetarians are like, oh, couldn't eat meat. Yeah, the more than happily wander around a supermarket. Eight four eight five oh Steve LBC dot co dot UK. Apparently, eating lunch at your desk could double the chances of developing a fatal blood clot. Don't eat at your desk. In other words, to because most people work through lunch hour now, don't they? People don't seem to have a designated hour for lunch. It used to be you got an hour for lunch or 45 minutes or whatever it happens to be. And you don't, you don't get it. Now. So people sit at their desk and they have a they nip upstairs, they come down, or they sort of they just sit there with, with a sandwich. So that's why loads of people eat sandwiches at the desk. Some people have time to make sandwiches at home and then bring them in. Other people just go out. That's why there's a proliferation of sandwich shops, subways and fast food places, and we've got loads of, I mean there's loads of places around here. It's terribly expensive though. It's cheaper to actually bring your own stuff in or make it at home the the day before, just buy a loaf of bread and some fillings. We talked about sandwich fillings the other day and how, you know, they're looking for an exotic sandwich filling. I'm thinking, oh God, let's give us some plain sandwiches. I had a ham sandwich yesterday. Just ham. That was it. Ham in a sandwich. Simple, plain, not very expensive. Which was lovely. Uh, with uh, Britain's Got Talent's magical mut predicted to earn 10 million, could your pooch learn to dance, dance like Pudsey? Yeah, of course. She's trained it. It's, you can train anything. You can train anybody to do anything. You can train humans to tightrope walk. I've tightrope walked. You can train people to stop drinking, to stop smoking. You can teach people to drive. You can teach people to ride bicycles. You can, teach people, you can teach people to do anything. You've just got to have patience. Somebody was saying a short while ago, you know, could anybody ever teach you to roller skate? Of course they could. Absolutely. To, to a quality of standard? Yeah, absolutely. Ice skating? Most of the people who go to the ice skating programmes, the so-called showbiz ones, they're just doing it for the money. Half of them can't ice skate, as they've demonstrated on the television, where they crawl around at about one mile a a week. They're so slow, as laughingly we put it to you on this programme, they're not as much ice skating as having a photograph taken. That's all it is, because when you see them on the the television, it's speeded up a little bit to make it look as though they're actually going a bit faster. They weren't any good at all. They really weren't. Uh, I love the... We had the Sony Awards last night, which we did quite well. But uh, the golden oldies, they're proving that uh, people like, a bit of a chat and a bit of a gossip and everything else, are Beryl and Betty, 86 and 90, respectively. And they have a show, which I think is on uh, somewhere up north. And they sit there with the presenter and they talk about everything at the age of 86 and 90. Uh, they, They talk about, you know, shoes, sex, people in the news, all sorts of... It's just two people chatting, which I should imagine goes down fairly well. I mean, I, I can imagine that's the kind of thing... Because people like that on the radio, don't they? People people like having a programme that they can relate to. They like they like having a little bit of a gossip. So when you've got two old ladies... You can imagine them sitting there going, so I said to her, oh, I can't... Be. It's a bit like was done on the television. Les Dawson used to do it, where he dressed up as an old lady and did his... Whoa, yeah, oh, and all that kind of stuff. So you can imagine why they've got an appeal at 86 and 90. Because at that age, they've done tonnes of stuff. They've done loads of stuff. They've been around. They've actually probably... You know, done more stuff than you and I put together. And they've got an opinion. Nobody thinks that, you know, pensioners have opinions now. They do. They've got loads of opinions. You see them stand there looking, you know, children behave badly all over the place. And you just see them going, it was so much different a long time ago. And they're absolutely, they're so right. So, well done. Well done to them. Steve says, was Sweep working for treats with Sooty and Sweep? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Sooty and Sue. Sue was definitely working for treats. Who she was getting the treat from, Sutter Your Sweep, I've got no idea. I don't think it was Butch the dog, who I don't think was as butch as we maybe thought he was. Chris, good morning. Good morning,
2: Steve. Morning.
1: You're very, very faint, Steve. No, I'm fine, honestly, I promise you. I've taken my medication and everything. I'm <laughs> fine.
2: <laughs> Bear with me, I've never ever phoned a station, so mm, I might get a bit
1: sometimes. OK, the train you're looking for is leaving from Platform 7, OK? So, wait a minute, we'll, we'll have to come back to you on that one. OK, just just give us give us a minute. Uh, Dave says, most cyclists are motorists, so they pay road tax. Anyway, what damage does a bicycle do to a road? Well, it's got, that's got nothing to do with it. It's got nothing to do with they do damage to a road. They have to pay for the road. Who actually maintains the roads? You don't think it's the car drivers that do that, do you? Certainly not. And uh, most cyclists are not motorists. That's the trouble. They're not. They are. They're, they're sort of the sandal-wearing brigade. They've got the go faster helmet and the horn at the front. You back with us, Chris? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Better. Right. Right.
2: I'm going back a few years, Steve. Right. About fifteen or so. Okay. Now, before that, my opinion was more or less the same as yours. Mm. But I had a friend who heard of a psychic in Yorkshire. Mm-hmm. Now we live in Surrey. Mm-hmm. So she thought she'd have a go. Quite expensive, but she phoned this lady up, made an appointment. She had to wait three months, not to go and see her, but do it over the phone.
1: Oh, right, yes.
2: So she got a building society check, she got a friend to address the envelope, mm-hmm. and it was sent off.
1: How much was it?
2: I really can't remember. I think you must be talking. It must have been about £30, £30, Right, pounds, OK, which,
1: yeah. A lot you know, of
2: money. A fair bit. Yeah. Anyway, the day came, so she got her coffee, got her cigars, made this phone call at 11 o'clock. Now, the woman didn't know anything about her, mm. not a thing. She answered the phone, she called her by name, and she said, I've got John here with me. I'd have dropped me coffee there and then. Mm. So her husband, he died about six months or so before that. Mm -hmm. Didn't say anything. She wasn't going to give anything away at all. She just listened and she taped it. Mm. So she was chatting to her. She said, "Um, oh, he likes the way you've got the photograph of him by your bed and you blow him a kiss every night. And nobody knew that at Mm. all. She carried on talking. She named named all her three children with no hesitation. But the other one, the daughter-in-law, she said, I'm a bit confused. I've got a G and a J, and I'm not sure what it is. Mm. Well, her name was Gillian. But
1: everyone referred to her as Jill with a J. Which exactly it could have been spelt both ways. When when you said she sent the, the cheque off mm-hmm. so she sends the cheque off and we used to do that here. We used to have a psychic as well, and he would do it over the phone the same way and you would you would phone and you'd give credit card details and so it's a similar sort of thing. 15, 20 years ago probably people sent cheques. So she's already got the cheque with the woman's name on, so she knows her name and she knows she's going to be calling at eleven you see what I mean? Oh, yes, yeah. So, so, she, so she would know that anyway. And, I mean, I don't know how much effort it would take. Normally, people that go, go to psychics, as you know, Chris, would go there because they've lost somebody. You aren't going to go to a psychic, you know, if it isn't something like somebody that you've been with for all your life and then they've, they, then they, they've died because you want to know where they are. The fact is, the trouble is, none of us know where they are, but there are people who will, who will tell you that they're fine, they're looking out for you. I understand that there's some very good things that come up, you know, when she sort of says, and you've got the photo on the sideboard and you blow him a kiss every night. Because I would think that most women who had lost their husbands would do that. You would put the photo of your of your loved one on a sideboard. Like, I've got a picture of my mum on the sideboard, and my dad on the sideboard, and my godchildren and everything, you know, the whole family. So it's practically like a photographic gallery. And I would put that on there. And so I would think it would be quite normal for a woman to go to bed at night, look at the photograph of her husband, who she'd lost, and go, "No night But, yeah, I mean, it,
2: it's just so strange. It was mm. the fact... She said there was no hesitation mm. in the name.
1: Yes, yeah.
2: And even the grandchildren she named.
1: Yes, yes. And
2: she also said, so John says you've missed something. Hmm. When you cleared out the papers, you've missed something.
1: So she had to go back and do it all and again. Yeah. Thought, well, I
2: haven't.
1: And it's interesting, he... is it? Because you you are right that you will do things and you will you will look back on it and you will remember key things. The the, the cassette is very important. Because we used to have a psychic on LBC called Christian Dion. Didn't actually predict his own bankruptcy, and so he had to skip the country, but that was another story. And, and he used to do that as well, and it became quite lucrative. People would, would phone him up at a prearranged time, like like your, your friend, and he'd say, right, you know, t- 10.45 on Sunday. And they'd phone up, and he would start doing the reading, and then he'd send them, he'd just plug a cassette in, and then he'd send the cassette off to them. Now, sometimes it's accurate, sometimes it's not. I mean, I can't explain how somebody would know you know, children's names and that kind of stuff, or whether or not it would be a husband who'd passed over, or a child, or anything like that. That bit I'm I'm not too sure of. And I think there is a certain amount of guesswork. I think there is also a certain amount of maybe there is something in it. But the, the whole reason is, if, if these people are really good, why don't they just do it for free? Why don't they just... I know you can go to a spiritual church and they will do it for free because that's what people like doing. But I'm sure we could all do it. I mean, I, I could sit down and probably do it to somebody in the office without knowing very much about them. And uh, and, and, and probably be fairly accurate, you know, as, as regards... You, you could just tell things. You could just tell. That's an interesting story, though. Thank you for that. Uh, Anne in Swiss Cottage, The Dancing Dog 1, Britain's Got Talent. That was days ago. Where have you been? That was, that was, that was last week. The dog. And also, the dog didn't win it. The girl won it through giving it bacon sandwiches as treats. I'm sure if somebody gave you a bacon sandwich, you'd jump up and down on your hind legs a few times and catch a ball. <laughs> I bought a sausage baguette the other day and ended up... I was, I was going to throw it out because it, it had gone cold. There's nothing worse than a, than a cold sausage baguette. Do you know somebody in the office ate it? They got quite excited by the fact it was a cold sausage baguette. There you go. So we're talking about um, cyclists. Apparently, they've all admitted... Most of them have admitted that, yes, they do jump lights, more than half of them. They ride on the pavement and uh, they don't have any regard for anybody else because they think they're above the law. And to be honest with you, if you're stuck in traffic and you've got cyclists all over there, the other ones are little motorcycles. They're very annoying. They're very annoying. I have been known to sort of stick my hand out the window just as one's going past Oh, sorry, you fell off. So sorry about that. I mean that in a caring way, of course, as you can imagine. I really do find them a hazard on the roads. Anyway, up next, the cheery subject of funerals. After it was discovered, over 50 plans aren't what they seem to be. But first, of course, it's the headlines at 5.30.
0: LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. LBC 97.3. This is London's Biggest Conversation with the best of Steve Allen.
1: Welcome back. In half an hour, you can hear me talk to actor Stephen Burkhoff about how he views other actors and legendary crooner Engelbert Humperdinck about his career, which has spanned 55 years. But first, let's talk funerals. Come on. All oh, right, don't you. You're not working today. OK, fine. Stay in bed. Stay in bed. There's no point in getting up. It's going to be one of those miserable days with a little bit of rain imminent. Uh, Steve says, my mum said she'd paid for her funeral. When finally came the day, it wasn't. They wanted more money. Uh, Joseph says, I'm Jewish. My synagogue membership includes burial insurance, so my family don't need to worry about funeral costs when the time eventually comes. Uh, And Claire says, that article about life plans in the Daily Mail, Should I think I read it the other day in the Telegraph whilst having a cup of coffee in waitrose. Ali uh, says, uh, my parents... Paid for their funerals through the Dignity Plan. Cost them just over £800 for each one. My father died two years ago. His funeral was worth over 4000 We all thought it was morbid at the time, but they organised the whole lot, even down to the music and what they were wearing. Yes, some people do that, don't they? I know I'd forgotten about that side of it. If, if somebody's a football fan, they generally put the people in their football strip and something like that. I mean, I'm, I'm just... I don't know. I haven't made any stipulations for things like that. And uh, Sue says, My mum has recently given me her funeral savings to help me buy a house. She told me if she dies, just throw her on the bonfire. (laughs) Well, there you go. I don't think legally you could do that, actually. I don't think so. Actually, I do know somebody that's buried in their back garden. They ask to be buried in the back garden, but you have to tell people, when they're, when they're if you sell the house, that there is somebody buried in the back garden. It is legal. You, you can have it done. You don't have to be buried where, where you think you have to be buried. My eight-year-old son wants to make her into a diamond ring and sell her on eBay. He's going to have me cremated, put in a pot with googly eyes on it. You can be put in a rocket now, can't you, and sent up to... Sp- I don't quite see the point of that. I don't quite see the point, you know, of sort of having your ashes put in a rocket and sent up into space, much as though I love bonfire night. Uh, D says... Um, problem. Uh, Bought something from a TV shopping channel, changed my mind, rang and cancelled it a week ago. I've received over a hundred calls from the company. I've said, I don't want to cancel it, but they keep on ringing. And if I pick up, they say nothing. When I left the answer machine with a message saying, stop phoning, please. They've left messages laughing and saying things in whatever language. There's no UK number. It's driving me mad. So is it a TV shopping channel here? If it's a TV shopping channel here, then you need to write to them. I, I wasn't aware that they had call centres anywhere else, but they're not allowed to uh, not allowed to call you, as far as I know. So I, I don't really know what the what the law is on that. Um, I think actually, if you've got an answer phone, that's normally the thing. But most of these people, if you if you call, what you're is you're on a loop, and they're sitting there with lots of lights. And the moment they see a light, they pick up the phone. So sometimes there might be a slight slight delay. Uh, Alex says, my mother gave me 10000 to look after her funeral and bills when she dies. Sadly, there's only 2000 left, not because she's dead, but because I bought a new car. I haven't told her yet, but it's going to be more of an Iceland party platter than a waitrose catering. That is awful. You see, I find that disgusting. I know you might think that's funny, but I absolutely think that's absolutely dreadful. Because if your mum entrusts money to you and, and you've spent it... I'm not sure, see whether you're serious. If, if, if you're actually serious, I think that's the worst thing I've ever heard in my entire life, that you've spent your mother's funeral money. If it's a joke, then it's, it's very funny with the Iceland party platter, because you do get 60 items for 10 quid, and I think that's really good. But, uh, you know, if, she, if, if somebody really left you £10,000 to pay for their funeral, they obviously trust you. I Have a good mind to, uh, to find out who your mother is, through careful research on the internet, and phone her up and go... By the way, you don't have any money because your son spent it all on a car. I think that's awful. I think that's the saddest thing I've ever heard. Uh, Suits, says Claire. I always wear a suit uh, for meetings in London. It shows certain respect for the person with whom you're meeting. The fact that you feel they're important enough to have made the extra effort for. Arriving in PJs, cringe. I know. But he is very rich. His company, Facebook, is worth £68 And I'm assuming at 68 billion, you can wear just what you like. I don't think it makes... I mean, perhaps I'm being a bit difficult. I said before, the analogy for me is, if you're working in business, if you're working for a bank, I don't want to go into a bank and see somebody in a pair of jeans behind the counter. All the ladies who work in banks all wear, you know, nice dresses and frocks and make an effort. So why can't the men? And in banks, they do make the effort. So that's okay. If I'm watching a television programme... And I, can't th- not, and I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but the presenter bounds on wearing a pair of jeans and a T-shirt and a leather jacket. I feel cheated because I know that they're earning thousands and they should, they should dress accordingly. If you go to see a stage show, if you go to see Mamma Mia, you want to see people in, in sort of jeans. Do you, some of the cast in Mamma Mia do wear jeans, but you know what I mean? You want to see, you know, if you go to see The King and I... You're expecting to see a full costume piece, not people turning up in jeans and a T-shirt. If you go to see Wicked, you're expecting to see people dress up. If you come to see a Steve Allen show, you're expecting to see some sparkly jackets and shoes and things that light up, because that's what we do. Anyway, she has bought tickets for the Magic Circle show, so I've got four tickets on the front row. I'm slowly converting everybody to listen to you, including uh, all the family, including my cat woman sister Karen, who's an avid Steve Allen listener. Which is good news. Thank you very much indeed. Well, we, we're very close at the Magic Circle. We're almost within touching distance. In fact, we are within touching distance. So it's on com, And that's for the 30th of next month. But tiny, tiny place, so get in quick on that one. Uh, so, suits this morning. Saving for your funeral. Clamping. 29 years since the first clamp in London. And it don't seem a day too long. Because we've suffered with them ever since. I don't know why they bother clamping people. Just take the car away. It's, it's, it's a waste of time having to having to bring the car, you park it, and then because you parked over your time, they put a clamp on it, thus deterring everybody else. Why don't they just lift it and take it away? Makes more sense, doesn't it? Makes more sense. Dell is getting uh, married to me Julie on Saturday. He says, uh, he says, you were very funny yesterday, but I couldn't text as I was driving to the studio, and I'm getting married on Saturday. How lovely. How lovely. That won't last. And, um, er, bloody joking. Something on the front page... They've got a picture of uh, Cheryl Cole, um, whose new style icon they said is Bertie Bassett. She's wearing just an inappropriate outfit, poor sir. She can't help it. She can't help It's not her fault. And uh, a Lady Gaga gig has been cancelled after she was accused of spreading satanic teachings by Islamic hardliners. Why are Islamic hardliners getting worried about what Lady Gaga does? You don't need to worry about that. Fundamentalist groups in Indonesia branded the singer vulgar and indecent. Yep. Kind of sums it up. That's Lady Gaga. But then, people have always been like that over the years. I mean, the the, the rock group Kiss, they were like that. They were a bit bit indecent, sticking their tongues out with the men all covered in makeup. But uh, you mustn't worry about it. What other people do really should be of no concern to you whatsoever. If you don't want to go to the gig, don't go to the gig. If you want to be outraged, is that out by outraged of Guildford? I don't know why it's always Guildford every time, but it's generally more people are outraged in Guildford than ever. Or cyclists. Well, I mean, outraged cyclist. Cyclists are very much like that. They get so a little bit up in arms. They they really desperately want to buy a car. They re- they so want a car, but they just won't. They won't spend the money. They're far too mean. Oh, I got my check. I know I was going to tell you something. I got my check from my court uh, for being um, a jury member. Unfortunately, because I was I was working at the time, I didn't I didn't get paid. For that, I got paid for my mileage and money I had left on my card. Guess how much? For two weeks. Guess what? £45.30. I don't know what, I, what I'm going to do. I'm not, I'm not going to cash it. I'm going to have it framed. I'm going to have it framed. My first cheque from the courts. £45.30. I was so excited when it arrived through. Because a friend of mine, Sam, who's a policeman, got his. And he. Uh, he said they've only paid him for six days. I wasn't sure he was there for the rest of the time anyway, but... When I, when I got mine yesterday, I opened it very carefully, thinking, how much, how much, is it going to be £1,000? No, 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 it's only petrol money. And I think it's, I was six miles away from court, and it's something like 39p a mile or something. So, 24, so times, yeah, t- yeah about 40, yeah, 43 pounds. Bit depressing, really, isn't it? But I'm definitely not going to cash it. What's the point? What's the point of cashing it? I might as well just sort of leave it there and, and just have it framed up. I can see my friend Andy, and he can he, he can frame it for me today. Um. Joanne says, sorted and paid for my funeral at Harrods. They arrange everything for me. So there you go. Morning, little Julie, Noreen, Winnie and Bob and Hope and Amanda had a good birthday. Well, Amanda would have had a good birthday if it hadn't been for the present that I bought her, which was... <sighs> How do I explain this? Anyway, we nearly had an incident with a hospital because I gave her a nice birthday card. I didn't tell her it came from Clinton's. So they are about to close down. She just It's got a Chinese flavour to the front of it. And so I bought her that. And I've also bought her a Mathmos Light because she likes strange things and this math light is like a liquid in a, in a glass but it's not the one that you've seen before that heats up at the bottom this one is a little milk bottle with this colored liquid in and you put a little tea light underneath it in this frame and it heats up with the tea light and then the the liquid moves and it's lovely except obviously in the delivery the glass was broken so she opened it I wasn't sure if she'd like it, but luckily she did. And so she opened it, and the glass had broken, and she cut herself, so we had blood all over the place. So I've had to uh, order another one, and that should be with us in a few days. I'll have to check it before I give it to her, just in case this one breaks as well. Because if there's glass, they should really make sure it's wrapped properly inside, but it wasn't. So we ended up, you know, I mean, to scour around for plasters in the building. Uh, Neil... It says, I got clamped whilst dropping off some print to the rear of a block of offices that owned the car park in Harrow. After a very direct conversation from me, not repeatable, the clamper removed the clamp, muttering under his breath, well, don't park here again. It's amazing how the signs are so small, and we're almost like looking for, where's Wally? Thank you, Neil, very much indeed. You're very lucky to have had it removed, because 90% of clampers won't won't take a clamp off. And the reason they won't take it off is because they're on commission, and if they're on commission, the last thing they're going to do is help you out. I've, as I say, I've, I've known a number of guys who work as bouncers, and they work as clampers as well. They have their own outfit. And they literally, because they're either working for somebody else or they're working for themselves, they want that money. They'll walk people to... Had people, they had a very famous person once who they clamped in Shepherd's Bush. I can't tell you who it was, but it was a sports presenter who created Merry Hell... I mean, literally, he called the police everything, even though he was parked illegally. And the police made them remove it. So, I mean, what you have to be very careful of, if your car gets clamped and you're on private property and you try and remove the clamp yourself, if you, um, if you damage it in any way, like cutting it or bolt cutting it or sawing through it, they will take you to court. They have no hesitation. It's easy to get somebody into court for criminal damage. They just call the police out, the police will arrange it, and it's, it's sorted. So don't damage it. If you can get it off the car without, without damaging it, then fantastic. Brilliant. But it's, it's amazing. You have to look around. As Neil said, the signs are very small. They're not going to help you. And sometimes what the guy does, he'll sort of be in his little van, he'll park round the corner. Because they have regular sites where, believe it or not, people, stupid people, do pull in off the road and they will go shopping because they think, oh, don't worry, they're not going to clamp me. And it's at that moment that the little clamper comes around and goes, I've got another one. And some of them can be £250. It's its a lot of money. So just be careful. Uh, Patsy reckons that Cheryl Cole and Colleen Rooney have the same fashion style. i that dreadful. Have you seen? I mean, poor old Colleen Rooney. She can't wear anything. It just looks awful. I thought you were going to say Wayne Rooney, because everything he wears, he looks like a sack of potatoes. Some people have got the figure for wearing things. He doesn't have it. But I know that at the Lady Rattling's do on Sunday, at a posh London hotel, there will be a lot of very nice frocks. Can't wait to see what Barbara's going to be wearing. I'll let you know all about the Lady Rattling's ball tomorrow morning, so you'll have to listen in at four o'clock. Quick break now, after which I've got some bad news, if you haven't heard already.
0: LBC 97.3 This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. LBC 97.3 This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen.
1: Welcome back. As you heard during the week the face of kids TV is going to change very soon which I think is a terrible shame. What would Biddy Baxter say, ladies and gentlemen, the demise of Blue Peter? What a dreadful thing to do, to shove it off BBC One. I don't know what they're going to put on in place of it. Perhaps we're going to have sort of endless repeats of, uh, of gardening programmes, you no know, Through the Keyhole's ITV. They don't do it on the BBC. And uh, what else will they put on there? It'll be another antiques programme or another blasted cookery programme. So all you, all the young people will be going, where's Where's Blue Peter gone? Well, they've shoved it away because they don't really care about it. In fact, in the, in the grand scheme of things, Blue Peter's audience has dropped off so much, there's more people working on it than watching it now. That's the trouble. It does not have the kudos which it had years ago. And I was a big Blue Peter fan. I mean, a big, big Blue Peter fan. Because it's what we all grew up with. And there doesn't appear to me to be the sort of programmes on the television now that you would want the kids watching. You know, unless you like Dick and Dom and puerile, you know, pathetic humour of sort of making rude noises and stuff like that and shouting bogey and and making that sound funny. That apparently amuses children nowadays and two people of Dick and Dom's age, which is, you know, it's great. I'm sure it's got a market. I just don't don't know where the market is. Probably as far away as possible. Gallashield sounds fairly popular this morning. Or Stoke-on-Trent's very popular. Stoke-on-Trent famous for the Potteries. Famous for Robbie Williams. Famous for. Robbie Williams. Famous for the Potteries. OK, that's about it for Stoke-On-Trent. It's a ghastly dump of a place. I have been up there. I have been up there because I did go up to Sheffield once. God, there's another place. Famous for Cutlery. That's about the, that's about the extent of it, I'm afraid. And so uh, so when I read about Blue Peter, I thought, that's a shame. I thought it was on the cards. But what happened is, after, the, after they lost a few of their last batch of presenters, and I defy anybody to tell me who the last four were... Because they're, they're very difficult. They're, they're all totally nameless. There was one who was blonde and who was fairly camp, and then there was Helen Skelton, who's the one who's got the northern accent. But quite clearly, they see Blue Peter now as a stepping stone, and that's that's the problem. I don't like people seeing things as a stepping stone. I like people to see things as a proper job. And if you've got a proper job, then you give a hundred percent. I mean, I thought it was. I thought they'd obviously allowed it to go too far when Barney who currently does it, He's perfectly amiable, going out with one of the, the other um, um, children's presenters. In fact, they live together. And he sort of plays keyboard and stuff like that. You know, it's all very nice. But they allowed him to go off and do pantomime, something which years ago would have been, t- under Biddy Baxter, would have been verboten. Biddy Baxter said, no, your your loyalty is to the programme. Now, unfortunately, Blue Peter is filmed in a studio about the size of this one here, which is what's commonly known as Tiny. And he goes off. Helen Skelton goes off and gets loads of coverage. Not for anything she's done on Blue Peter, which is the programme that's given to the Lord. If I was working on Blue Peter as the producer, I'd be feeling really fed up with the way that they've they've been treated there because it was one of the best programmes on television. We all watched it. The, The reason that we watched it is because it had animals on there and because we had to... Admittedly, Anthea Turner was an irritant. You did want to hold her under the water for more than the obligatory five seconds. She was on the television the other day. Oh, God, she's irritating. Why is it that woman's so irritating? And you can't quite put your finger on it. You don't know why Anthea turns it. She's just a little bit... She's a bit sort of too smiley-smiley, a little bit too, you know, cutesy, apple pie, and you want to shove her face in the custard girl next door kind of look. That's what she was. She was on Sky with that other irritant, Eamon Holmes. Oh, dear Lord above. I don't, I don't know how get through it. They've got a celebrity... Uh, uh um celebrity whatever it is with uh with Chris Tarrant and they've got celebrity couples and so they've got all sorts of oh who wants to be a millionaire and so have they got Eamon Blooming Holmes again. Why don't they just stay in for a night? Do us all a favour. Him and that wife of his she pitched up on loose women again the other day. God I, lo- I, mean, I don't know what she's doing with her hair. Not a lot you can do it, though, I suppose really, when it looks as bad as that. But I so say she's got this new flick up look which is all very picky. but I you just wish they'd stay in, don't you? Stay in a lot like for the next five years that'd do is all effect. Put some new people on television. You know, people want new people on television. Here she is, the world's biggest bore, and that's Denise Welsh. Oh, sorry I nearly fell asleep even mentioning her name. Uh, she says I've been treated as if I was bin Laden, proving what a thicko she really is. This is the woman who spends most of her time drunk. And now she's touring in still magnolias. And she says, I don't care what people say, it's love. Of course you care what people say. That's why you've droned on in this interview. <laughs> of course you care. It's because you're a bore. You're an absolute, downright bore. You and your dreary ex-husband are the two of the biggest bores we ever saw on television. I just loved it on the, on the dancing programme. The trouble is with Denise, she says, I'm moving in with my new man. Shut up. Nobody cares. Nobody really cares. You know, if you fell off the end of Blackpool Pier, I couldn't care less. I don't care whether you move in with a man, a chipmunk, or, you know, half of, you know, Dad's army. I don't care. I really don't care. I'm not remotely bothered. I've been treated as if I was bin Laden. It's because you're you're an embarrassment. You're an embarrassment to women, you're an embarrassment to everybody on on Loose Women. I don't know why they bother with Loose Women, actually. The moment you hove into view Janet Street Porter, you know you're on a downward curve, don't you? The oldest old harridan in the business. And there she is pontificating about all sorts of absolute garbage. And then she's pitched up at the moment on Countdown, which must have been filmed weeks ago, I should imagine. And so you've got to suffer with her on that. But every time she opens her mouth on the television, you do feel it's just, it's some poor old woman you know, dragging out the last remnants of a career that died donkeys years ago, together with Denise Wells. She wished they'd just pension them off. Put some other people on. Give some other people. Then they were talking about gaydar. Can you tell somebody's sexuality by looking at them? Yep, certainly can. You absolutely can. It's, it's a gift that you have nowadays. They apparently showed a lot of people, pictures of people, and, uh, and you can work out somebody's sexual orientation in the blink of an eye. Some people say it's on an unconscious level. 50 milliseconds, you can work out somebody's sexuality. Or, as as far as I'm concerned, about 10 pints. You can generally work out somebody's sexualisation on 10 pints, gay or straight. So they showed loads of people photographs. Even if they were upside down, they could still work out. I can tell by the way somebody carries a water jug. Funny that, isn't it? Somebody can carry a water jug and you you can tell straight away. But you look at somebody, so you walk past somebody, and that's why they've got this great programme on the television, which we've all failed at miserably. And I think it's called... I can't remember what it's called. must be Queer Eye for a Gay, uh, for a Straight Guy. And what it is, they they actually put a couple of uh, of bimbo-y types on there, uh, or one one bimbo-y type and and a helper, and they've got to try and work out, out of about 15 guys, which ones are gay and which ones are straight. So what you've got is, you've actually got a lot of sort of quite camp gay guys pretending to be butch which makes them even funnier, and the girl's got to kind of work out. Well, I mean, you could, you could work it out quite quickly. You know, the, uh, generally speaking, the gay guys are going to have the shaved chests, and the, and the straight guys will be there sort of flexing all their muscles and thinking that they're God's gift to women, which, of course, they aren't, I'm afraid. And that's what's so worried about But I do, I do find it mildly entertaining where, where she goes, I really, th- I'm th- convinced you're straight, and we're all looking at the television going, he's definitely gay. You're going nowhere with this one. But now there is a, a fascination with it, and apparently it works best on women. So this is, this is scientific. 96 photos were shown to 129 college students of young men and women who identified themselves as gay or straight. We decided not to include bisexuals because they're just greedy and it's also a little bit complicated. Once you start working out bisexuals, you're not really sure which line you're sort of crossing here. And so what they did, they actually found them. For women's faces, participants were 65% accurate in guessing sexual orientation when the photos were briefly flashed onto a screen. That's quite good, isn't it? I remember going up to Nottingham once and we went into a gay club and all the women were attractive. Now, I know that sounds a little bit odd, but generally speaking, in a gay bar, a lot of lesbians don't make a lot of themselves. You know, there's a lot of boiler suits, there's a lot of sort of hair scraped back, it's, it's a fairly butch, masochistic kind of atmosphere. But in Nottingham, strangely enough, everybody was very, very pretty, so much so we had to ask the people who owned it, are you sure this is gay night? Because it was, everybody was far too pretty, you know, and, and didn't fit the stereotype, the blokes looked reasonably normal. I mean, it was, it was really odd. Whether it's a north-south divide, I don't know. Apparently, very fashionable now uh, to go to gay bars. No, but they were actually gay women. I know it's fashion. it's been fashionable for about the last 500 years to so pull anybody at all. And so they have to stand there and they dance around their handbags all night and they've got a gay best friend. You know, the gay guys are thinking, you really are fat, aren't you? And it's, and it's generally that. You get a lot of that in, in, in gay bars and gay clubs. But I like the idea of being able to look at somebody and tell straight away... Do you think somebody consciously starts behaving in a particular way? I mean, we had a comedian years ago, you'll all remember called, well, you probably won't remember, called Duncan Norvell. And Duncan Norvell played gay. He played gay in his comic act, which, you know, when you think about it, it wasn't really perhaps the best thing to do. David Walliams plays very gay, but Duncan Norvell played very gay. He w- he would go up to sort of like desert chase me. And he'd run away and look back. And he'd, he did the whole camp thing, a little bit like... Um, any any comedian who sort of does gay characters and then it turned out that he was bonking all these women and he had women here and he was married and he was and people went what david walliams plays sort of very gay but i just think he's been dropped on his head as a baby and so he's not really sure where he is arthur or martha it it doesn't make any difference but it makes it entertaining and people go oh it's okay because he's married you know that's the, the moment somebody gets married that kind of sort of took away any stigma that somebody might have been gay. So you ended up with an awful lot of people from the 50s and 60s who ended up getting married to please their parents. But in fact, they were, in fact, falling the other side of the fence. And so it then became terribly, terribly confusing. You know, and then we got swingers, oh, the whole thing just degenerated. Anyway, going back to Blue Peter, because they've had a variety of presenters over the years, some gay, some straight, some irritating, some very good. Some very very irritating, and now they're going to shove it away on the uh, on the children's channel, the CBBC. Well, I don't think I get CBBC, and so I think that what they will do is they will quietly just let Blue Peter die. It will just disappear off, and they'll do their best to try and resurrect it. But the two presenters will be looking to do something else. Barney was all over the place. Barney had a, I think he worked with a glove puppet at some point. I can't remember. They all worked with glove puppets. But I just think moving it is a shame because it's been there for over 40 years. And if something's been there for over 40 years, there's a reason. And the reason is it was a landmark piece of television. And I don't think you should take it off and move it anywhere else because there'll be lots of people who won't be able to pick it up. And that, I think, is a great shame because we need to hang on to iconic children's television programmes. But we don't have any iconic programmes now, do we? Teletubbies, A.O. You know, Tinky Winky, La La Poe, and all the rest, and Dipsy. I mean, it was, it was all a bit strange at the time, but I went out and I bought the dolls like everybody else. Every year there was something new on LBC, either Cabbage Patch Kids or, uh, or a toy, and it became the most valuable toy you could get. And Cabbage Patch was very popular, and um, and Tinky Winky, La La Po, and all the rest, of, they, were, they were equally collectible, until we found a toy shop that said, I've got a complete set, would you like them? And I went... Are you serious? They went, yeah. And they brought in a complete set. I had a complete set of dolls which we gave to charity, I seem to remember. But I've still got Furbies. I started collecting Furbies. I've got about ten Furbies at home. You remember two of them contracted flu. And they spent the whole time staring at each other. Because somebody said if you get two Furbies, they were like an interactive toy. They talked to each other. Mine didn't. They just sneezed in each other's faces. One would go, and the other one would go, Eck, like that. And that was the extent of it. It was really dreary, so I had to put them in the cupboard and took the batteries out. Put them in a short while ago, they're still sneezing. Must be the longest bout of flu anybody's ever had. Well, I have since put my Furbies back in the cupboard, and I have a feeling they won't be making an appearance for a long while. So, that was last week in a nutshell. Coming up at seven, breakfast with James Max. Before that, I'm in conversation with Stephen Burkoff and Hengelbert Humperdinck. But first, the news at six.
0: LBC 97.3 This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen.